What's going on? Everybody, you've got the card board coaches here with your boy, Coach Co. I am Le Cartel. Today you're French. Way. Nice. Way, like way? You heard me. It's way. Nice. Way. That's, yeah, uh, I'm feeling a little French today. Uh, Cyril Gane yesterday with the big victory in the UFC. Um, and, you know, just shouting out our French contingent. Many hockey collectors in this world are our little French fried. I got a French guy on my shirt. Th- there you go. <laughs> Le Magnifique. Yes. Do you pronounce the G in is Le Magnifique, no? What? What? Mag- mag- magnifique. I have no idea. I have no magnifique idea. No idea. Mag- magnifique. I think we're digressing. Sacre bleu. We would maybe get some uh, French feedback. We have. I'm just gonna roll over that. We have the biggest card sale in sports card history to talk about, and right. I think that's why I had to roll over that. Over the past, well, not over the past week, but this past weekend, we had our first eight-digit sports card sale. It was $12,600,000 to be exact. You heard that right, $12,600,000. It was an SGC 9.5 Mickey Mantle Tops 1952. Um, this is the highest graded copy that SGC has ever graded, I guess. And a fun fact about this card is that it was in a screw down. So for those of you who are tuning in and remember the era of the screw down, it was in a screw down, uh, until about two months ago, which I find fascinating. And we can talk a little bit about that as well. A non-recessed lucite brick screw down to be specific. And we now have, first of all, our first eight-figure sale, which I think is a big deal because we were all kind of wondering, you know, what would be that that one to crack $10 million? Um, And I know that, you know, sometimes prominent members of our hobby love to say that it's going to be an ultra-modern card that is, you know, like it's a triple auto or a triple logo man or a right. hot, hot new rookie like Luca. Fortunately... For the saving grace of our hobby, it wasn't. It was a card that is iconic and will continue to be iconic. And I think it's important to note that the top three sales of all time for sports cards are all in SGC slabs, which is a list that is very different than it was about a year ago today, where we had the Mickey Mantle PSA 9 as the number one. We had the Luca, which I think was a $4 million card at the time. And I believe that was occupying the number two spot. Um, my point is that there was a bunch of PSA cards at the top. Uh, we had that Trout sale from Vegas Dave that kicked it all off, which was also a PSA slab. So I think it's important to talk a little bit about, number one, how massive that sale is, is for the entirety of the hobby. But also how, you know, almost overnight although not so much if you've been paying attention and you're actively open to receiving the feedback of the collectors, that SGC has kind of just taken the hobby by storm over the course of the last, let's say, 12 months. Yeah, you just dropped a lot of uh, information there. 
um, and we will talk in depth about the uh, implications of SGC being the holder of the high numbers. Um, but something that you just popped off there got my got the gears wound in my head and moving. You know, getting into the consciousness of the hobby with these ridiculous estimations that uh, we had from our a variety of people, let's say, as well as our good friend Ken Golden. Uh, I, I I actually wonder how that came into play when it came to this particular mantle. When you're throwing out numbers like six million, which were not realized, you still threw them out there, put them into the public consciousness, put them into the hobby consciousness. That's an interesting thing. I'm glad you mentioned that. And in addition to that, I just want to say that mantle is super creamy. Uh, if you've seen pictures of it, I mean, it's just stunning to see a card of that age and importance looking like that. I don't care what holder it's in or, or, or what have you. I'm sure if you've got it in hand and you're taking a good look, you can start to get into the details of what that missing 0.5 entails. I'm guessing some softness on the corners, but the centering, the color is just remarkable. And it, it, it's just a reminder that it, it is the Mona Lisa of the hobby. It is absolutely stunning. It represents so much. It's such a beautiful card. It's this, um, you know, good looking all American slugger in a portrait form. Uh, it's, it's a great card to point at when you're having these conversations with outsiders who don't quite understand what's going on with the hobby or why we're so obsessed with these pieces of cardboard, men on cardboard, Men and women in car on cord cardboard now inside plastic holders. Um, the I don't know what to tackle first here. Other than that, uh, you know the, the the main point you were talking about with SGC um, going back in time just a little bit uh, before the before the pandemic. Actually, let's go a little further beyond that. Before there was all these different options with grading and the type of grading mania that we've seen grading was in the hands of the, maybe they were in the hands of the 1% at the time. They were in the hands of very few. Uh, when you found a store that specialized in slabs back in the late nineties, early OOs, they were very high end. They often dealt with gold and silver and jewelry as well in a lot of situations, particularly this one spot in Toronto that I was familiar with when I was younger. And it was considered very high end. As a kid, you were like, wow, these are like, these are cards that should be in, presented this way, right? Because they're so expensive and the prices were always expensive. And SGC had its reputation for being the vintage grader. It didn't mean people didn't send their vintage stuff to PSA. We all know the story with the first PSA graded card, the tampered with Honus Wagner, yep. uh, which is, you know, that's the turn of the century. So it's not like PSA wasn't handling vintage cards. But certainly at the time, the late 90s, you know, the Ken Griffey Jr. cards were heading out to PSA. Um, the Mo Vaughn rookie cards were heading out to PSA at the time. But SGC was handling a lot of the older stuff. You saw a lot of old hockey tobacco cards in SGC holders. They were the 1 to 100. They kind of created that pedigree. Now, something I've mentioned on Cardboard Coaches a little while back, it's not the same company. Yep. It's, it's new ownership. Yep. But they do have that, that legacy for whatever that's worth. And they well, now you have... you would assume that some of the the graders either stuck around or like exactly. they were passed down from you know yes. like generation to generation kind of deal. You know what I mean? Like some yeah. some amount of that integrity and that knowledge definitely stuck around with that company. Well, you'd you, you'd you, think anyway. You would hope so, and yeah. that definitely 
begs the uh, the opportunity to look into that. I, that to me is really cool to create any sort of lineage. I have some doubts, but I would hope, yeah, I would hope that there is building some lineage within all these grading companies. The only reason I have doubt is because there were such massive overhauls and changes in the last few years. But regardless, um, you know, the Lucite holder issue, I didn't know about that until Sports Card Radio discussed it. Uh, we have a classic cardboard coaches story from many episodes ago. I, I don't know how to reference which episode. It's tough. The danger with the Lucite holders was that they're essentially sandwiching this card. They're crushing it, which can affect the overall shape and dimensions of the card. Now, in addition to that, depending on how they're stored, and back then people were not playing with the concept of putting it in a penny sleeve before sandwiching it at Lucite. That plastic and cardboard, same thing, people who frame stuff know this. You don't want glass directly on the surface. It can create a sticky situation, particularly in the presence of a hot or a moist environment. We don't know how people store things, right? You always hear about these great collections from the Colorado area, the Rocky Mountain area, and they're designated as such because they've been stored in the perfect atmosphere, perfect temperature. But the average card collector would toss them in their closet and we don't know what's, what's going on, right? So in a lot of cases, and I told this story of a Wayne Gretzky OPG rookie card. I'm not sitting here saying it was going to be Gem Mint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was someone's random Gretzky, where a store owner refused to purchase it unless it was removed from that Lucite holder, and the seller did remove it, unscrewed the giant screws. We're talking about, what is that? Three, four inches, that Lucite holder? They're thick, man. And then removing the two parts, which essentially then removed the Gretzky in two parts because they were stuck to the Lucite plastic. So uh, we did not witness the mantle being removed. I'm assuming it was not split in two. I'm assuming it did not sustain any damage. So maybe it got lucky. Maybe it was stored correctly. Maybe the screws weren't that tight. I don't know. But the reason why, in case anyone's wondering why we're even talking about it or why a lot of OG collectors found it interesting, it's because of the fact that it's, it's like the worst way that it could have been stored. Yes. And so that makes it interesting. It does. Um, and yet it survived. Maybe if it was not stored that way, it would have achieved a higher grade. Uh, I don't know about that. I, I don't know. know. Soft. They're soft. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, it makes for an interesting story. And I believe the gentleman purchased it for $50,000. So the story that I heard is that he bought a lot literally like a lot of Mickey mantles and he was selling them for $10,000 each either in the late nineties or early two thousands uh, raw, bought a lot of raw mantles and he remembered one of them. So I think he sold them all. And then he ended up going back and buying one of them that he was like, this one is like in incredible shape. And so he ended up paying that person $50,000 who paid him $10,000 to buy it back. And that's the one he kept after I think he sold like 30 of them. I think that's what the story is, is that he bought 30 of them. Good catch um, if so. Yeah. But uh, um, I'll find a way to confirm that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, given I was telling you uh, and a few other people back in 2019, right before the pandemic, something I was noticing at shows was some high rollers were voraciously buying up mantles and Gretzky's in particular. 
Now Gretzky's hitting all sorts of records, right? The OPG well, was a couple million. Speak of the last week. So same thing at the same heritage auction that this mantle sold for 12.6. We had an all-time high uh, for a Gretzky tops PSA 10. And it sold for $1.2 million. And for those of you who are, I mean, are tuning in from Canada, we're talking about $1.2 million US. And same thing with, with the mantle, it's $12.6 million US. So, you know, if you want to translate that or convert that into Canadian dollars, like that's, that's some big time cash. I mean, it's big time cash if it wasn't Canadian dollars, but it, you know, if you're living in Canada, you understand that the, the conversions are a big deal. Um, so to put that into perspective, like $1.2 million dollars, and and this actually, this is very interesting because Signed and Slabbed is on this this topic of of Opeachy versus Topps Gretzky a lot actually um, mm-hmm. a little less now that he's doing his his PWCC reviews of the top one hundred but when when he was reviewing the PWCC auctions you know one of the things he was tracking was the value of of the Opeachy versus Topps at least that I was noticing. And, uh, you know, he's like, it just doesn't make sense why there's like such a big discrepancy between the two. Now, obviously, OG collectors and collectors of, of hockey cards understand the difference between the OPG and the tops and how it's significantly more challenging to get, you know, a proper OPG one based on the way that they cut and, and those designations. But, you know, having a $1.2 million tops OPG definitely... I mean, you can't look at them the same way anymore. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. not to say that you could before, but it's uh, – I find that sometimes people just kind of dismiss – you know, they look at a, a, a Gretzky rookie and they're like, oh, it's a tops one. But you can't yeah. dismiss that anymore. Like, there's, like, huge value even in the tops rookies. American collectors are never going to fully understand it because they see tops and they think of the mantle. Yeah. They think of the tops brand. Yeah. They think of, look, they think of everything, tops Star Wars, tops, you know, just branding in general. Um, and it's a little mystifying to them. Uh, Canadians will sit there and tell tales of, you know, you know, when you, the OPG in hand, it's just, it's a different kind of cardboard. It evokes something very different. And, um, and it is what you'd get at your local corner store in Canada when you were buying hockey cards. You wouldn't get the tops cards. You'd have to get a specialty store to get those in. Um, for me is like when, when there was a bit of a run up on the bossy, I thought to myself, you know, think of those kids in the Northeastern United States that were collecting, that were into the Islanders, bossy, Trache, Smith, that were into the miracle on ice in 1980. Um, they'd be buying tops cards and, and playing with those and collecting with those. But obviously there's not as much nostalgia because there weren't as many collectors. But when I started buying some graded bossy tops rookies, which are obviously more affordable than the Opeachy. That's what I immediately thought of. There was a connection there to the fact that Bossy played in an American market. Um, it was a very successful American team, and it was happening during a time when hockey reached kind of peak popularity in the yeah. States, even though it wasn't much. Even though it wasn't much, it was there. So it's a conversation. It makes Canadian collectors a little uncomfortable. Yeah, They wonder if there's going to be a run-up on tops. Um you know, but again, that Gretzky Opeachy, that that is the icon. And it's accepted that way. And that's why you don't hear the conversation too much. And that's why Dave's like, yo, what's up with this? Yes. And we don't have great answers for him. Um, uh, now, we're supposed to be under the impression that there was a lot more tops put out there. Doesn't mean it's an easy grade. No. I mean, it's a pop two. So it can't be that easy. Right. And what is the Opeachy? The same? Or? Pop two. 
So, I mean, again, yeah. So the, the idea might be, well, what's, what's the big, what's the big difference? My understanding is there, there was more tops printed, which again, that's also, maybe I'm getting this wrong because that would also be mystifying. Why would they print more in a market where it wasn't? A yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Right. Like maybe we've had this all wrong, but at the end of the day, it's the, as, as Nat Turner calls it, the OPC yeah. rules the day in the Canadian market. Yeah. Um, and it was the OPC that I mentioned, those collectors, those shrewd high rollers. Cause it wasn't like it was cheap back then. I saw guys accumulate monstrous amounts of, of Gretzky's in, in an effort to just simply accumulate them, get the ones in best shape. Um, they were buying mantles. I was witnessing huge into the tens of thousand cash deals for a variety of grades uh, at the Toronto Expo back in 2019. These guys knew that these were the cards that were underappreciated. It's not like they knew a pandemic was coming. Yeah. But what they saw happen in two years, that's that's what they were predicting would happen in 10 years. They literally said that to me. I, I had conversations with some of these gentlemen. And uh, smart. And now the conversation becomes what, if it's too late with some of those cards, although you, do you notice, Coach Co, uh, repeatedly you see these IG stories looking for a Gretzky and a PSA 1, looking for yeah. a Gretzky and a PSA yeah. 1. They just want a slice of the heat. They yeah. want a piece of the pie. Yeah. And um, that's that's interesting to see. That's good to see because it means across the board, these cards are in demand. If you can't get in on a high level one, the question becomes what's next. And then you start talking to the basketball collectors that are talking about Steph Curry and you're talking to baseball collectors talking about Mike Trout or maybe not Mike Trout or maybe Albert Pujols, et cetera. And in hockey, so yeah. on and so forth, Lemieux. And that's great. That's really good. It stirs up conversation. It stirs up the market. That's all good stuff. Now, some people, when the mantle record was reported, were like, guys, strap it in. We are, I was, I was going to say strap it something else, but strap <laughs> it in. And we're going to the moon and everything we've got. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, I can't wait to move all my base gem baseball cards from the last five years. From yeah, college. yeah, yeah. But I don't think that's the case. This is a very unique market. You're almost like starting to edge into the fine art market, in my opinion. I mean, wouldn't you agree? It, so it's almost a different market. I would 100% agree with you. I think that this this sale specifically uh, starts to become very close to like the high end art, right? Um, and that's kind of why it's sold for this because it, it's like it's a collectible piece. It's a it's a talking piece. You know, if you own that, theoretically speaking, you would want to display it in your house. Um, people would know what that is. Generally speaking, they would either know of mental or know of that sale or know of that card or whatever. Yeah. Obviously you'd have some pretty crazy security out front or whatever. Um, but I think it's interesting to talk about, um, you know, do you think I, cause I, I have my opinion and we can go through this, but do you think that that sale being in the headlines of, you know, CNN and Forbes and BBC and, you know, City News and Fox News, that sale being in, in mainstream media for a number like that. I mean, people start asking bigger questions about sports cards, do they not? Yeah. I can agree with that. Absolutely. It does. It opens up avenues of interest and conversation and makes it, I mean, again, this was happening when we were seeing the big numbers um, with the auctions that you mentioned at the beginning of yeah. the podcast. Um, that was starting to happen. You had guys in different investment arenas 
starting to ask the question. So in a way, this returns to it. Um, and it, I think it makes more sense to them than the triple logo, man. That one, just that just caused, in my opinion, a lot of confusion potentially. And the big gap between the evaluation that we saw versus what it finished at was maybe not a good look. In a lot of ways, this couldn't have been better timing. I, in that sense. And it and, came out um, and it came out of left field, you know, pun intended. It's like, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's, um, I mean, it could very well be like the next fire starter, like the, cause like as much as Vegas Dave is what he is, but like that sale did take, the, did take yeah. the hobby by storm. You, you know what I mean? To. You got it. It's, it's so hard to do it, but you got to give the guy. That's, that's, I, I came into the hobby because of that sale. I'm going to be honest with you. Like that's yeah. like, obviously that wasn't, it wasn't like, I'm going to buy a Mike Trout, but like that headline you was like, potential that was like holy shit like this is like real you know what i mean like i wonder what my cards are worth like there were steps to lead me to eventually you know having this podcast with you but it's like that sale happens and now all of a sudden you're going through old cards you're asking your parents where your old cards were or where their old cards were you're now walking into a local card shop and asking them you know what are the rules and regulations you're watching youtube videos like it maybe doesn't happen right away, but it definitely is the intrigue of a lot of people who are going to come in, in my opinion, and have, you know, money or a desire or something that ties them to collecting. Now, the matter is, like, how long do they stay? But yeah, you just said it. I mean, you all that, all that. Absolutely. I guess the one thing we uh, we didn't completely uh, tackle was SGC sports card guarantee corporation yes um they they love it they love the spotlight they took full advantage of it they 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 advertise that fact that these big number cards are an sgc holders they are legitimized um they have been a darling of a certain sector of the hobby for a while now of course we want to be careful with this we are not sponsored by sgc no. we enjoy sgc we use their services and we have we have repeatedly talked about all the positive things that they managed to do during a period of time where customer service was frustrating from a lot of outlets, Panini, Tops, PSA, there was so much being, there was so much content being put out criticizing. And here was content being put out just kind of celebrating and being supportive of some positive movement by a company that is not brand new. Okay, which I feel is important because I feel people get way too excited about new companies, yes. which just drives, you know, which, which yes. just makes the fall even harder. We really have to temper expectation. Yes, I'm talking about tag grading. Let's keep it cool. Keep open minded. That's what I'm doing. Okay, regardless of all the assorted elements as it relates to tag and who's involved. Keep an open mind. That's fine. I personally feel that the, the, the clear holder may be an issue in terms of display. And being able to read the flip, that's my opinion. You know, I'm, it's not negative. Let's see how it plays out. Um, but we get way excited about these new companies. SGC was an existing company that decided we're going to take this brand. And I've repeatedly said this might be a good idea for Beckett. Take that branding. Take that history. Do something positive with it. Do something for your customers. Find the right price. There's people who, are, who want SGC to go even lower with their pricing, potentially, to get even more, to drum up even more interest. Look, that's a whole thing that those companies have to figure out in terms of 
how much volume they're going to be receiving and their profits, et cetera, so on and so forth. But uh, you and I have had great experiences with SGC. It uh, opens up a bit of a conversation that's maybe a little uncomfortable about grading standards. Um, but again, we are dealing ultimately with a subjective reality when it comes yes. to grading. Which I've been saying people... from the get-go. I, I was the like, man, when I came back in, I was like, this doesn't make any sense why raw cards are more expensive than sevens and eights when a seven realistically can be cracked out and resubmitted and it gets a brand new grade and everyone's like, no, you can't do that. It's, and yeah. now all of a sudden everyone's everyone who doesn't get a grade that they like, that they like will submit yeah. and submit and submit we're and seeing, submit. We're seeing unprecedented amounts of resubmission and crossing over, which again, that's, that's fine. Uh, it certainly does when you've got a whole feed. I haven't seen a lot from them lately, but the cracked chronicles, when you have a whole feed that's involved in that, I mean, what that does is just further muddy the waters and make people question grading as a whole. Yes. Because if this company's giving a nine, this you put up a great post of a journey from an HGA. I'll see if I get this right, if I can remember. I'm an old man. HGA nine became yep. a PSA eight, became correct. an SPC 9.5. That's correct. Three different companies, three different individual human graders. Well, Meme James has been throwing out memes about uh, AI and how humans are the problem. I personally, yeah, and, and he's just joking around. But me personally, I do believe that the human touch is kind of necessary for something like a card that has so many nooks and crannies, corners. Anytime I put out a question about like, how is AI going to deal with the foil and imprinting on the design versus the surface, I might be completely off with the way I'm looking at it, but no one responds. No one, no one's, <laughs> everybody's like, I don't know. Yeah. Everybody's like, I don't know. It's, it's artificial intelligence. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You take the, 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 the you know, the introversion of the uh, the relegation of the angle. We've heard this mumbo jumbo. Man, it's all you got to do is use a bunch of goddamn adjectives and all of a sudden you can explain the unexplainable. Do you know what it, I mean? Like, there's yeah, it's these, these crazy, far out 1980s sci-fi explanations of how they're going to be grading our cards. Human being holding the card is going to be able to put it under several different lights, look at all the different angles, look at what's necessary to look at, and hopefully have some understanding of the issue that they're looking at. They better know what the deal is with my 1970s Sunbeam bred DC Comics card if they're going to grade it. Yeah, you would, you would think and you would hope. Um, SGC, people just seem to trust them and their, their grading team. They've been very transparent. I think they let Jeff Wilson walk around and touch stuff in their... Uh, their, their headquarters and uh, people appreciate that stuff. And um, you know, that the whole, the whole quality standard of the grade conversation, we're probably going to be seeing more and more of it. A lot of people are saying PSA is grading more difficult now. Uh, again, that is subjective. I can sit here and say, yeah, I think so based on my latest. But then, but then you see, look, uh, I mean, what we talked about before, like, yes, they are on like ultra modern, but like, you know, some 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 modern cards that like got tens that have no business getting tens. Where I was like, I even me, I was like, what the hell is this? You know, like, yeah. and like you you've you've gotten one with like a corner, and you're like, I don't know if that's a ten. You know, like it's it, it sometimes it just doesn't make any sense, right? So it, I think just a consistency across the board. You know, if I see a bum corner and and you see a bum corner, like that's cool if you if you dock that down. But also, I probably wouldn't have sent that thing in though. Do you know what right. I mean? Exactly. Like, and look, and you're going to see, and we've seen them. We've yeah. seen them. 
you're going to see black label BGS cards that are obviously off-centered, like incredibly obviously off-centered. And then you're going to see that mantle SGC95 that's so crispy, so creamy. It looks so beautiful. Um, so at the very least, when you're looking at that, and it is an SGC holder, you're at least saying, yeah, that's a nice looking card. It probably makes sense. Like, listen, you've got to hold it in your hand to get all the details. You have to. Buy the card. eBay, high res, PWCC. I can't believe I'm saying them because in a way that's kind of advertising them. But they have these high res scans and you still need to really have it in your hand to get all the details. And it is subjective and it you are going to see variances and you can only hope for the best and buy the card, not the slab. I'm a big fan of that concept. And uh, in some cases, though, if, if it's a card that's highly printed, buy the slab. That might be controversial, but... If there's so many of them, regardless of what's inside, regardless of what the corners look like, you're going to want to buy the slab. Fair yeah. enough. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, there's, there's not too much more we can kind of get into uh, in, in that discussion. We can, however, discuss uh, a nice little fitness tidbit to send our, our viewers and listeners and on their way. Our, keep our role going with Yes. It, right? The three in a row. I mean, it's all about consistency. That's what fitness is about. That's what any sort of you know, changes are all about. Um, and what we want to talk about today specifically is finding a way to, you know, see past maybe how you feel today or tomorrow or next week. And I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about foresight and not only foresight, but also starting today versus starting tomorrow and starting, you know, we could have sat here on this podcast and say, we're going to do a fitness tip next week or the following week. And, it's better to do something less than perfect than to wait forever to start. Um, and that's kind of what I'm going to leave you with, but you can keep going. And, and just to go off of that, maybe yeah. add a little bit of kind of, it, it, it's this concept that if you do get started, you, you've got the motor running because if you don't get the motor running, if you don't, if you don't get up and take that walk, if you don't do those push-ups you're you're not doing anything for your mental state and that's a big concern right now for everybody we're not going to get too deep into it uh we got a little bit into it last episode and i sometimes get into it on my instagram stories uh but you know if, if you're if you're down in it and you get started on releasing those those positive hormones and 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 and, and this that the the juice so to speak the uh, what kind of juice are we are we talking about here, Brendan? Uh, serotonin. Uh, yeah, so I was gonna uh, say you know. serotonin, endorphins. I mean, endorphins, right? It, it, once you start on that path and you start to feel that, it's easier to keep going because you're gonna want it again. Unfortunately, we're 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 starting to get addictive behavior towards negative things that may have developed over the course of the pandemic. You want to start getting addicted to some of those positive feelings that you can achieve through exercise and eating better, right? I, I, we're not. Andrew Huberman, we're not these, uh, these, you know, we're not the precision nutrition uh, website, but we know that if we're eating garbage, we're going to more likely feel like garbage and rebound from those highs, eating sugar and all the delicious stuff. But you put in good quality food in your body of which you're going to listen, I, I like your feed for food because you don't, you're not sparing the food, no. so to speak, you're eating what you enjoy and yeah. you explain to us when you're doing it, how you're doing it, and what justifies it. 
um, I don't know if that's the best word to use justify, but nonetheless, yeah. you're, you're not restricting yourself. No, no, very much. You are eating like you, you posted your grocery returns. Yeah. There, man. Yeah. All that stuff is tasty and incredibly healthy. Yeah. Putting that stuff in your body, you are going to feel healthier. You are going to have better, uh, better energy for exercise. It yeah. It all comes together. And the I think around, speaking of foresight, that's, so that's, that's where I was going with it. Yeah. 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 So if you start this week, or if you start during the fall, you will be ready for the winter. If you don't start and it's snowing and you're getting depressed in that Canadian winter, mm, I don't know. I don't want you to have to put pressure on yourself and feel bad about it. Winter but it will be more difficult. Winters, more difficult. winters get really tough, especially if you live in a place where it gets significantly colder or significantly darker, like a lot of our friends in, in Canada. Um, and that's why I think it's important, you know, while – environmental factors are working with you. So the sun's out a lot longer, the sun's out in general, it's relatively warm. So, you know, you kind of feel a little bit more energized on a regular basis. Uh, while you have those ele elemental factors or environmental factors working with you to start to transition some of, you know, things, lifestyle habits, you might want to start implementing going into the winter time, because yes. we all know about seasonal affective uh, disorder it uh, affects a lot of us. SAD is the acronym, and it does make you sad. So, just yes. uh, let's let's start working on things that are going to make us feel better today. All right, people. Absolutely, team. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Cardboard Coaches. As always, please don't forget to like, share, comment. If you heard something that you really liked, share it with a friend. Uh, we love you guys, and uh, we want you to have a wonderful rest of your day. Coach Co, out. Peace.